there's three things that have been on my mind a lot lately. And it's kind of a trifecta of mental health, education, and jobs. Education, I think most of us get an education and we try to go to the best school, really because we want to try to get the best opportunity coming out of it and the, the network you get, the badge you get of the brand, all those kinds of things. Education is in turmoil, jobs are in turmoil, and I feel like when those two things happen at the same time, the mental health really kicks in and becomes a real strain on people. So I feel like that's the trifecta that, that we're gonna focus on today. I'm no doctor, you know, but, but I am a human. And I'm Jim Milligan, by the way, the seaman is Jim Milligan. This is Talent Show Radio. For all the humans out there, the AI synthetic characters and the pets, like anybody listening right now, that's what's on my mind and that's what we're gonna talk about today. I can't think of two better talented individuals to join today than Natalie Mambio and Nicholas Richard. Matt, Nick, how are you guys? Great. Yeah, yeah great, thank you. Here. And now you were just saying you are in East Village now in New York? Yes, I am. I am in the sunny East Village and the vibe has definitely improved around here. People are out and about, being their colorful selves, uh, spending time hanging outside cafes, but keeping a respectful distance from each other, wearing their masks. So many of them custom to match their funky platforms they strut down the street. An interesting crowd of people at the track uh, on the east side, on the East River, got contortionists doing their thing, various kinds of wacky dancers doing their practice. So yeah, things are kind of feel like there's sort of new beginnings, an upbeat attitude around these parts now, which is- That is so is cool. Nice. Like, would you say that it's almost feeling better than normal? I think, so I've spent uh, the last couple of months out of town and just recently came back a few days ago. And I left when things felt pretty dire and it was pretty cold and people were still grappling with what to do uh, right at the start of the pandemic and the lockdown. And now I've kind of come back to my first port of call is to go and visit my local cafe, which I've been supporting along with many other people in the neighborhood to keep alive and help reinvent itself from a cafe into a bakery because that's what people are demanding. People want bread. And so in order to meet the demand for bread, they're reinventing themselves into a bakery. And then I've kind of just seen this beginnings of a new ecosystem. So as I was just sort of drinking my coffee outside the cafe in the sunshine, I'd been talking to the owner. Another guy comes up. He's got wind of the fact that this cafe now has this bread oven and his bread supplier has gone out of business and he's got these famous toasties that he wants to start serving again and he wants the owner of this cafe to be his supplier and then there's all this banter about all the people they know in common and sort of familiar hustle but in a sort of different way because people are having to reinvent themselves but there is a feeling of a lot of kind of creativity and people are being kind of constructive about where to take things. I feel like people have kind of got into their groove a bit. So I'd say things are definitely better, definitely better than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's extra nice to see new beginnings emerge around these parts. I love that. And that's kind of consistent in what a little bit in what we're 
trying to do today from a new beginning perspective is, and I'll introduce Nick in a second, is around getting a job. And, you know, for me recently, I just, I'm 52 years old and I just created a resume for the first time like a week ago. And so I've been going through that process a little bit. And Nick, I'm curious what you've been up to, but for me, I'll go on LinkedIn, find a couple of jobs that make sense, research the company for, I don't know, three or four hours, just trying to get to know the company, look for insights about it. How does that connect into my journey, my vision, and then write a cover letter and then shoot it off into the digital abyss and hope that it gets picked up by an algorithm because I put a box around a certain word or something. <laughs> and not only doing it for free, but really no sense if this anyone's even reading it or if it even matters, you know? So I don't know. I've, I've been going through kind of a crazy little experience on it. And that's kind of what today's about. It is around that trifecta, but circling into it, it's really about trying to rethink and a new beginning back to what you said, Natalie, on job search. And how do we create the show that's almost like a... Uh, an American idol for talent search for jobs. Like, how do we have some fun with it? How do we bring personality into it? So anyway, that's what this experiment is about. And with that, let me introduce our, what would it be? A, are you a lab rat, Nick? Is that what you are right now in our experiment? I feel like I've been eating like a lab rat. So I think I can roll with that. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, so for the, for the or audience- Or a guinea pig. He's he's a esteemed guinea pig. Yeah. Thank you. I was struggling with rat. It, yeah. That's what I'm, I'm sorry. That's why I was hesitating on what animal to choose. I was like, it's not a rat. What is that thing in that little glass cage that they... That's what By the sounds of things, Nick, this interview could be rough. You know what? I'm, I'm not picky. Whatever feels right to you guys is fine with me. Okay. No no offense out there on the, on the rat thing, because you're anything but that. And just, just to kind of share with Natalie and the and the rest of the audience out there, if there is anybody, is a little bit about Nick. So I met Nick, uh, what was that, maybe two months ago or so, right when the pandemic started, was it around that? Yeah, I would say so. And I've gotten to know him, a few phone calls, a lot of text sharing thoughts and ideas and stuff. And so it's really great to have you on the show. And you're no slouch. And I'm going to prove that in a second. And and ha have you been looking for a job actively? Or what's what's been going on with your job experience? Uh, I mean, searching for jobs. So I have been. And, and first of all, thank you so much, Jim, for setting this up. And Natalie, it's great to meet you. Uh, really interesting um, stories that you both shared already. So just to quickly give a little background, I just graduated about, well, I finished classes about two months ago. Graduation is technically in, in June and it will be over Zoom. So I'm going to put on my college cap and then throw it in my room. Congratulations. But, <laughs> Thank you. And so I was studying business and global affairs in Toronto for the last three years. So I have been in the job search basically since February. So coming on about three, three and a half months now. And Jim, I'd love to know your secret of how you, you've made it so long without writing a resume. That's wonderful to me. Any tips you can share would be very much appreciated. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I have any, I'm not sure there's any wisdom on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll share whatever. I'm an open book. So your hustle, hustle and yeah, flow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and Natalie, too, I'd love to hear from you because I know you're an expert in, in AI. And of course, something that's talked about a lot is these sort of automatic tracking systems that are exactly, as Jim mentioned, looking for certain words that are included in the resume or, or the cover letter. So I'd love to sort of understand the inside of that black box, too, anything you can share about that. But 
but in brief, my job process, and of course, this is a very unprecedented time to be looking for a job, what with COVID and, and the mass dislocation and, and unemployment. But my experience essentially has been a, a lot of applications. I've probably applied to about 50 jobs thus far, most of which are resume and cover letter and had several interviews. And, and actually, of course, I've had a lot of interviews canceled because of COVID where positions were closed, that those companies are no longer hiring or that they've just paused interviews indefinitely. So sort of across the board, lots of different experiences. And I know that so many people are in the exact same position. So I think this will resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. Nick, I'm curious, have you come across a sort of interview process or I don't know if you've got to this stage with any of your applications where you've been invited to a recorded interview where you see questions on a screen and you answer these questions and you are, you video yourself using your webcam and then you submit that video of you essentially kind of doing a pre-recorded interview. Have you come across that? Yes, I had multiple of those and I have to tell you they're oh. terrifying. For some reason it's scarier mm. than a real person. What is it about the experience that makes it so terrifying? So in my experience, and I've had different formats of this, but typically exactly as you described, there will be oftentimes a, what I assume to be a person, although having perused your website a little bit, it could be a synthetic person that I didn't realize that asks you a question. And usually there's about a 10 second time frame for you to think about and prepare your response. And then it starts recording you. And then when you're done, if you, if it didn't go the way that you wanted, there's not a way to edit it. It sort of just automatically submits whatever came out of your mouth in that minute, which if you would like to hear at some point, I'll tell you about my grad school interview where they asked me who I most wanted to have dinner with. And I blurted out the first thing I thought of, which was Justin Bieber and somehow still got into grad school. But, <laughs> but, um, but to answer your question of why it's so scary, I think it's because when you're doing a Zoom call, typically you're getting some sort of facial feedback about how you're doing. But mm -hmm. with, with these, of course, you're just talking to who knows what's on the other side. And right. there's no real sense of how you're doing. And, and often, you know, these questions can be very out of left field, things you haven't prepared for. I've gotten some wild questions. And then you're just sort of grasping at whatever comes out of, <laughs> of your mouth. Um, and, and then you can't change it. So it's a little nerve wracking, but I think it's a good exercise in thinking on your feet and not taking yourself, yourself too seriously. Gotcha. Yeah, so it'll, it'll give you a little bit of background on, e on each other, um, just so this will make a little bit more sense. So Natalie, besides being the unwavering partner on this talent show radio venture that we've, we've been on, you are an emerging tech guru, right? You're a speaker around synthetic characters and it's an interesting combination to have you here to talk about education with Nick and AI because I don't see where else it can go but there. Mm. Like, how are those two things not going to intersect in a deep way? It feels impossible to me. Right. And I'm so thrilled to be on this particular show as well because I think education and AI is just such an interesting intersection. And recruitment as well. So all the topics pretty much that we're going to be covering. And what I think is so great too about AI in recruiting is that from my understanding, it can be very beneficial in terms of cutting down on implicit bias because oftentimes interviewers, there's sort of the well-documented fact that non-white sounding names 
on resumes are typically more likely to be thrown out. And so AI has an ability that humans do not to the same extent in terms of cutting out that implicit bias. Although we have to be careful because of course there's that famous, I believe it was Amazon that the machine learning learned the human implicit bias and was then continuing to perpetuate that same sort of systemic inequality. So um, I definitely think that's an area of opportunity and then also risk. Absolutely. Right, because AI always has the DNA of humans. That's the thing. Like, it, it was created by humans. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, so only it's, as it's, fair, it's only as fair as the training data underlying the algorithms and, you know, who was responsible for that training data in the first place. And if that is exclusively white males based in Silicon Valley that don't have much of a worldview and haven't engaged much with, the diversity of the population that it will actually be serving, uh, then those biases are implicit and are more scary because they get perpetuated, you know, at scale um, through AI. So, yes, there are definitely two sides. Nick, the first game is called Ideal is, um, okay. <laughs> we'll roll with it. Oh. Okay, awesome. Okay, here's the scenario. So you are joining Natalie for lunch in a busy cafe. Okay. You've met, you've done the meet and greet, you've sat down, the waiter has taken your drink order. Nick, young man, tell me, what is your ideal job? And why are you the ideal candidate for it? And you've got until the waiter comes back with our drinks. Oh, wow. Okay, well, Natalie, that's so kind of you to ask. So my ideal job would be working for Crooked Media, which is a progressive media company in Los Angeles. And, you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with them, but they are engaged in the exact kind of paradigm shift that I think is happening in so many industries and that I think is really needed. I know we're not going to get too far into politics, but I'll just say that these guys in my mind are truly heroes and I think they're just absolutely the most agile and most intelligent and most well-versed in the progressive world, progressive media world. And there are sort of two aspects to crooked media. One I think is to become in the long term sort of the left's response to Fox News and to foster the left-wing media ecosystem of the future, which is increasingly digital, podcasts, social media, all of that sort of nature. And second, it's about action. So Crooked Media is organizing people. Just this morning, actually, I was listening to the podcast, um, Positive America, where they rolled out this new program called Adopt a State, where they have the six most important battleground states and are having out-of-state voters, like myself, choose a state to dedicate all of their efforts to. Hmm. So why would I be a great um, employee for Podsave, uh, for Crooked Media, rather? Mm -hmm. I would just say that I've been with them since the very beginning, and I'm very familiar with the company and the products and programs. And thanks in part to them, but also externally, I think I have a pretty astute sense for politics and what is needed to fix this country, having lived in Ohio, Texas, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. So I think I have a pretty good sense of red, blue, and purple America, as well as having lived in, in five other countries. I am fluent in Spanish. I've been a bilingual public elementary school teacher in San Antonio. So I think I bring some really unique perspectives and I see the waiter coming down the hall. So I will finish with, I think I could contribute to Crooked 
because I'm worried that the Democratic Party in general is underperforming its potential in terms of in terms of Latino outreach. So my knowledge, um, so to my knowledge, despite having many different podcasts, there is no crooked media podcast in Spanish, which I think is an oversight given its huge reach and star players and star power. It could definitely manage that. So that's something I would be happy to be a part of setting up for them, as well as having the ability to view the page in Spanish, having merchandise in Spanish, et cetera. And the second area, I think, in general, would be content generation and research. As Jim mentioned, I've done some consulting work for the Argentinian and Canadian governments in regards to geopolitics and trade, and have lived in five foreign countries and have a master's in global affairs. So I think I might be able to help out with background research for Tommy and Pod Save the World, and again, with general content generation for Spanish-speaking audiences in the US. And, and last, I've worked on different campaigns as, as a volunteer. So currently, I'm making lots of calls for Mark Kelly, the next senator of Arizona. So to the extent that the cricket team might need help rolling out the Adopt-A-State program, I mentioned earlier, perhaps this is an area that I could be of use. And I think that's probably our time. Amazing. Uh, you actually answered all of my follow-up questions in uh, that last stretch as the waiter was just approaching the table. Um, that was very compelling. Thank you. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to hear your story. My story? Um, Ideal is... Um... So I really enjoy operating at the intersection of kind of emerging technology, what's new, what's still under the radar, and realizing the potential impact of this new emerging technology or new trend and being that translation layer and evangelist uh, for that technology to marketers, CMOs, business people, and helping them realize the potential of this technology and helping them um, adopt that, integrate it into their practices to take their business into the next, to the next level. So that's kind of what I've always really enjoyed doing. And so I'm so thrilled, exactly a year ago, uh, met uh, the startup Hour One that is a pioneer in synthetic characters. And right. synthetic characters, yeah, so synthetic characters are based on real people, uh, but they are essentially digital doubles of real people. And once you've created a digital double of a real person, you can program them to create new content and say new things. And you're probably wondering like, well, why is that useful? It's really useful because capturing video featuring real people is really expensive, it's really hard to do. And especially in these times, it's kind of impossible to do because you can't gather a crew together, you can't be on location together at the same time and all of that. So I feel like we're really providing a service to businesses that require this kind of video to be able to create some kind of human connection with their customers in a purely digital landscape, which we all find ourselves in now. And really listening to the market to see where there is that kind of traction and then developing and refining the product, its purpose, and getting early customers on board to start testing it and start testing the effectiveness of it. All the findings have been great and I feel like the momentum is really building around this service, especially at this time when people kind of are really looking for new ways to create quality content uh, that they are otherwise uh, being prevented from doing at the moment. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. So yeah. Nick, speaking of games. Okay. I just sent you a game to play that Natalie's going to walk you through. It's an AI game. We want to see how good are your observational skills 
Like, <laughs> okay. are you are like, are you a CIA candidate? Are you that kind of a guy or not? Okay, so let me tell you what this game is about. So this is a game um, which is we're calling the Turing Test, and it's a game by Hour One using Hour One's uh, synthetic character technology. And what you're going to see in the game and in subsequent rounds of the game, you're going to see a number of faces, more faces in each round, and you have to guess uh, within a time within a time limit of a few seconds which faces are real and which ones are synthetic. So you're actually going for the real ones. And we would like to see how well you do. And of course, the whole point of the game is that it's quite difficult to detect, but maybe you have these super powers of, of human detection. Do my best to make you proud. Okay. <laughs> Should I start? Yeah, let, let, let the games begin. Okay, so let's see, I'm hitting Let's Play. Level one, loading. In three, two, one. Four young women who all kind of look the same. Okay, I have to, two are real. Um, I'm gonna go bottom left. That was real, okay. And I'm what gonna are you go- taking your time, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go top right, I'm being pressured. Okay, so one out of two. <laughs> Okay, not bad. Keep going, keep going. Oh, oh, okay, until I find the real one. Okay, I'm gonna go top left. Yeah, so that was right. Level two loading in three, two, one. All right. Wow, you sound very calm. Very calm under pressure, Nick. Yeah, okay. Very good. This is fun. Yeah, so let's see I... if you were lucky or just good. There's nine photos here. I have to find four that are real. We're gonna go middle left. That was real. We're gonna go top right. That was real. Oh, okay. We're gonna go bottom, middle. That was real. All right, Natalie, let's pray for four out of four. And we're gonna go. I don't know. I don't know whose side I'm on. <laughs> we're gonna go middle, right. That was synthetic. Bottom, nah. Pretty good. What's your verdict, Nick? <laughs> My verdict is I think I'm flying in the dark and I've gotten a lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> but do they look pretty similar to you, or is it difficult, or is it easy? No, it's amazing. I mean, they they're. I have no idea. They look completely real or completely fake. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yeah. I, I I would say that's pretty impressive. The post you guys did on LinkedIn around mm. that, and I stared at that thing for 15 minutes, and I got one of them wrong. Right. I found it yeah. really hard, but I'm not. Well, we, got, we got a high obviously. engagement. High engagement on that LinkedIn post. Good to know. <laughs> if you need a, a lab rat to continue testing those for you, you know where to find me. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay, Nick, we're going to move right into the next one. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of months ago, you had submitted a couple of audio recordings around words of wisdom. Do you recall that? I did. I, I talked about my strange sleep patterns during all of this. The Wisdom Wiki. In a sense, I think all of us are walking through life these days as if it's a waking nightmare don't know when it will end. I know sleep is so important, so I've started meditating again and listening to children's lullabies. There are multiple playlists on Spotify. My mom, and I think Shakespeare used to say, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. Sleep heals. Good night. Wow! I 
I've actually just started, well, no, I've been sort of a, a lapse meditator for quite a long time or a, a medi- wannabe meditator. In during this pandemic, I think I've sort of turned a corner and really getting value out of meditation practice. I've been doing Sam Harris and I've had some profound moments. So I'm very interested to hear, Nick, kind of your experience of meditation, how it's helping you potentially with sleep. Sure. Yeah. And that's great to hear that you're doing it too. I think it's something that really everyone can do and, and should do. And I didn't always meditate. And I think I was one of those people, like many people that think it implies sort of sitting cross-legged on the ground and saying lots of ohms and, you know, levitating through the air. But <laughs> it's not that at all. It's really just about being present. It's a lot about breathing. And so the thing is, you can meditate anywhere. You can meditate while you're walking outside. It doesn't need to be always inside. It doesn't need to always be with your eyes closed. And so I think it's helped me with the most difficult and important thing during all of this, which I think is being present because the future is so uncertain that I think for a lot of us, if we're living in the future, it's just very stressful because we don't know what's going to happen or when or how and what the future will look like. So I think just being able to focus on your breathing and focus on how the sun feels on your skin or what the air feels like or what you're smelling is just really good for to tie it back to how we started this episode with with Jim introducing it to your mental health and just to your general well-being. So I'd be interested to hear if if any of that has been your experience too or what you're finding. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's been really helpful in being able to return to your breath, which is kind of a tool for returning to your center, which is a reminder that you are none of the things that you're experiencing. And that is just whatever you're experiencing are things just sort of playing into your consciousness at any one time. And you are not that feeling or you are not that thing that's happening to you or feels like it's happening to you. So I found that really helpful, really helpful insight. And also that it's brain training. Uh, Meditation the other day, I just had this insight, which is, it's like keggles for your mind. (laughs) (laughs) That means anything to you. (laughs) You have to, you have to trademark that. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, the thing for me, I know Natalie, you and I have talked about this, but what's on my mind around this partly is around all of the people that don't meditate and don't really have any idea of like consciousness and you know like that like the one of the series we're building right awaken your bacon right the whole idea of like just trying to to reach out to a a broader audience i feel like you know people like nick it makes total sense that he would meditate right just knowing who he is already but Mm -hmm. think about all the people that are in a, a mental health challenge that that come from environments where meditation you know, feels like a hippie noise or whatever, or like super intellectual, you know, I feel like there's such a opportunity. I don't have the answer. We're not going to figure out right now, but trying to unlock those types of things for the masses of people that wouldn't even consider it right now as as a healing tool, you know? I mean, I think sometimes it's like to try and get someone to take up meditation in the middle of a crisis is pretty tough, but (laughs) yeah, I think... (laughs) learning meditation as a kid as part of your education system and acquiring it as a practice and as a tool 
within your tool set to be able to uh, help you deal with a crisis when it comes on, I think that's really powerful. And I, I hear about that. I hear about um, schools uh, having meditation practice. And I don't know if it's every school and if it's in every country or even in this one, but I have heard friends about friends' kids, you know, in mindfulness uh, classes and stuff. And that to me sounds really invaluable. I love that. And actually that's a great segue into our next game. Because, again, I think two or three weeks ago, I can't quite remember, Nick, I asked you to pick a subject, any subject you wanted to go into and just really focus on it, go into it with a research and analysis perspective on it. And you did that and uh, exceptionally well. You titled it American Exceptionalism, Exceptionally Bad. You know, could you be a subject matter expert on something? Could you be a subject matter expert? Please feel free to cut me off, and I just want to preface it with I am not an expert on education by any means, but it is an area that I know relatively more about than, than other things. But my, my background, just as you mentioned, is that I was a bilingual elementary school teacher for two years in San Antonio. So what I was getting at with that title is the fact that despite the fact that I I'm a very proud American. I love this country and I consider myself a patriot. I think if I think true patriots criticize and realize when there is room for improvement and especially in America, especially in terms of education, we have such a vast ability to improve given where we are. So I would just point to a couple aspects of this. One of the sort of common measures of educational attainment internationally is a, a test called PISA, which evaluates 15-year-old students from all over the world in math, reading, and science. And of, of course, these standardized tests are always provoking controversy, as, as they should, about whether they are accurate and the best way to measure performance. But it's sort of one of the only standardized approaches we have to measure education right now. So the US is the richest country in the world. But would you like to guess what our PISA scores were in reading? Uh, no, I would rather not guess. I'm guessing it's abysmal. So it, it's pretty bad. It's 14th behind China, Singapore, Ireland, Canada, and Poland, and, and other countries. But you know, 14th isn't terrible. There's a lot of countries in the world. But our score in math was 38th, which is behind countries like Hungary and Russia. So for the US to be scoring 38th in the world, and math is pretty bad given what a rich country we are and all the resources we have. So I think that's sort of one of the, the clearest measures. I would point also to, so let's take a look at sort of a counterexample, which would be Finland. So in the 1960s, Finland and the US were scoring essentially about the same in, in education. And Michael Moore has a pretty extensive documentary on this until Finland decided that it wanted to, to be doing a lot better. And so they decided to do something about it. So in short, the, the key takeaways from the Finnish system is that they essentially got rid of homework. Students do about, on average, 10 minutes of homework a day in Finland. They have shorter school days, about 20 hours a day, but that includes everything. So that those 20 hours a day include, uh, sorry, 20 hours a week. <laughs> those 20 hours a week include lunch, arts, sports, so everything that we have here, they do in half the amount of time. And they 
pay teacher they pay teachers better and there's sort of a cultural value placed upon teaching that is not always the case here and if you watch this this Michael Moore documentary which is is pretty comprehensive they the, the teachers in Finland and Michael Moore talk about how the time in the U.S., we spend about a third of instructional time spent just teaching kids how to pass these tests. Whereas in Finland, they have a whole child approach. They focus on what makes children happy. If they're interested in baking or singing, they build that in. They have a lot of flexibility. They learn biology and science by going on nature walks and just teaching how to be a good human. So in Finland, you have this justice and equity attitude towards schooling. There's a lot of other barriers to equitable education in the U.S. as well. I mean, the, the biggest barrier that we often talk about is how it's funded. That's probably the most important piece of this because in, in the States, schools are funded based on property tax values of houses. So you create from the very beginning this huge inequality between resources and schools because you have very rich neighborhoods and you have very low income neighborhoods. And so of course the amount of funding that these schools receive is just dramatically different. But maybe I'll take a second now to pause yeah. and- Wow, there's so much in there that's just fascinating. I mean, just to draw the contrast, I mean, there's so many contrasts between the, fin the Finnish and the uh, US school system that you point out, but just to, con to compare and contrast nature walks, which is part of the curriculum with uh, school shootings. Right. right. Totally. And and also, Nick, what you were saying, I think, you know, it always comes down to follow the money. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you getting right into the core of it. It's it really is about the funding is the genesis of all the problems. Yeah. Well, I, I think you both raise great points, too, because a common criticism, I'm obviously not the first person to sort of hold up Finland or other countries as examples. And people often leverage the very valid concern that are Finland and the United States comparable can you do in Finland what works there? Would that work here? And I think the answer is probably no in many instances because they're very different countries with very different histories and very different contexts. So of course you need to bear that in mind, but it's not just Finland. There are so many other countries and ones that are closer to home and more comparable like Canada, which also performs much better than the US on many metrics of education. And in terms of funding, Canada, Canadian education is largely provincially funded, so not property tax. So that's just to look at a more comparable, closer to home um, story. There are many different ways to do this. And I think in general, we need, we need to take the best practices and implement them rather than consigning ourselves to being okay with mediocrity. I think our children, our students deserve better than that. Funding also kind of sets the cultural agenda for education too, like where it fits into culture. Like if it is funded, it means it's important as well. And so the knock-on effect of, of that funding and the message that it sends. Right, um, right. But I also wanted to address the, the point that you made about, I think you said Finland, they're able to accomplish the same amount, if not more, in, in a shorter period of time. Is that, did you say that? Am I correct? Yes, they, they do. They perform a lot better than we do in about half the time. About half the time, right. Because I think if, with all of this homeschooling, a lot of parents in New York, I've heard, are truly shocked by how quickly school is over when it comes to homeschooling. The classroom learning element of school is over in, you know, in the blink of an eye. And that goes into question, well, what on earth kids are doing at school when they're not learning? 
and like a fair amount of messing around and really unproductive. I've heard it suggested that school just kind of acts as daycare for kids while parents who need to work can go to work. And I mean, there's something to be said for that too, but that just doesn't seem like the purpose of school. Totally. And so, so Nick, you, you've spent a lot of time in higher education, right? With your the psych degree and then your MBA and then your master's. So you are a, a good candidate just to talk about the experience of higher ed that you've had, you know, just recently, I'll hear in it still, compared to what people are talking about as the future of education, like a Scott Galloway. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is an area where Natalie is, is a great expert to have here. I read the Galloway piece. I thought it was very interesting. And I think he's probably right. The role that I sort of see for AI is exactly as you mentioned, I think there's going to be a huge divide between higher education and sort of K through 12 or pre-K through 12. So in higher education, I think the role of AI can be mostly beneficial in terms of increasing accessibility and the financial burden, because as Galloway talks about, you might be having these schools like the top schools, sort of Harvard, MIT, and Stanford, that instead of accepting a couple thousand students are now accepting 100,000 a year because they're employing a mix of remote and on-campus education. And so you are able to accept a lot more students and they can get that education online at a much lower price. So in that way, I think you are leveling the, the playing field. And I see AI as, as playing a really great role in achieving greater equity there. But I do worry a lot about the pre-K through 12 education, the future of that given existing inequities and how those could be exacerbated by AI. Because if you look at what's happening right now, just with the remote learning, you know, it's not too difficult for a student who has access to a desktop or their own laptop. Let's say they're a 12th grader at home in, in a space you know, where parents are supporting them, where they can study and get work done. But if you are in a family where let's say you have five siblings and access to one iPad, how are you sharing that iPad with your siblings? How are you finding time and quiet to study? It's, it's just a lot more difficult. So I think even, it sounds sort of absurd, but I think you can see a phenomenon where children of the super rich have for example, you know, holographic teachers beamed into their living rooms, sitting next to their children and teaching them one-on-one -on -one because these schools are funded by much higher property tax values. And you could have another situation where low-income students can't even get access to reliable internet to use Zoom or any of the online platforms. So I do agree that in higher education, I think AI can be really great at reducing some of these inequities and expanding access. But I worry about K through 12 and how AI could actually exacerbate those existing inequalities. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on uh, something that Nick said about, you know, like some of the top schools are now, uh, in terms of universities, that is, going to be able to accept many more candidates, potentially. But then does that dilute the sort of a cachet that um, a student uh, might have or a recent graduate might have by being associated with that school because so many people now are associated with that school. So in that sense, it kind of, if brands are less of a badge of 
you know, the cream of the crop or the certain type of candidate that you're that you're looking for as an employer, does AI then become more important because you do there's more sifting to be done, there's more filtering that needs to be done on an individual basis. So AI could have a role there in assessing an individual's skills and uh, personality and character and suitability for certain jobs. So I see in that um, in that landscape, I kind of see AI as having a very important potential role in helping to filter uh, candidates in a in a fair way, hopefully. Yeah. What about the idea of say Amazon Prime U? Right. So Amazon creates a platform. They, they aren't about their brand being exclusive, right? Like you're saying, Harvard might not want to open their doors to everybody because it's, you know, they, they, they live on a limited edition model, mm-hmm. right? That's what makes them so great beyond the actual education is that not many people get to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that. But then there's the Amazon Prime model that if, if Jeff decided to create a university – um, it was 199 bucks a year or whatever it is, you know, isn't yeah. that a thing of yeah. maybe the future? Yeah. I'm fascinated by, uh, some projects, um, employing AI teaching assistants, uh, the university of new South Wales. I think I've got that name right, right. Uh, in Australia has, uh, used sort of Microsoft products, Microsoft platforms to create AI teaching assistants so that, every student can have their question answered in the classroom and outside the classroom. And that to me sounds like a really equitable way to use AI within education to make sure that even when you have vast classes of students, everybody get their individual attention. And the sort of AI teaching assistant just feels really scalable when you think about different languages, markets, and just vast amounts of information which can be surfaced to the right person at the right time. And from an hour one perspective, I think it's really interesting in that today, the AI teaching assistants uh, that I've come across are all text-based. But again, kind of going back to what Nick was saying is like he feels like, you know, it might be marginal, but his experience with some of these recorded interviews is better when you feel like you've got a human that you're engaging with. It just feels sort of more natural. Uh, So what if you could kind of upgrade these AI teaching assistants, which today are text-based, into a synthetic character, act as an extra pair of hands in the classroom and outside the classroom in an increasingly kind of remote education landscape? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think, Natalie raised so many great points. The teaching assistant from the the university in New South Wales, I think is fascinating. And I agree, I was sort of thinking about that too, the idea of a chatbot, like you have in many websites. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday, I was looking at airline tickets for American Airline. And so I was interacting with their automated system. And I was thinking exactly along the lines of what you were raising about what if you had K through 12 students who, if they didn't understand something, they could just talk to the chatbot, which could walk them through similar problems, which could suggest videos, or even pair them with students in the same classroom that have mastered that skill. So I do think that that is a way where you could really rapidly scale and create a lot more equitable access. And that frees up time for the teacher to really go where the teacher is needed with specific mm. students. So I think that is a great point, and that is a really scalable solution that could, um, that I think almost certainly has a future in K through 12 education. 
Well, yeah. So in the case of the University of New South Wales, it was a professor that was looking for new solutions to be able to address every student's questions. Uh, and so used technology that already exists and kind of built on top of it with the actual data from his own courses and the answers that had previously been given to similar questions and kind of just sort of aggregated this giant data set and, and used the AI teaching assistant to be able to sift through that information, which is specific to his course. So yeah, there are, there are these underlying technologies and tools that are not the preserve of any one university. Right. Yeah, totally. If Crooked Media uh, offered you an opportunity to join them, and they wanted you to begin by focusing on education. I was curious where you would take that. Now, before you answer that, I'm going to connect it into this game. This game is called... Give it up. 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 And as, as you may or may not know, we own, as Talent Show Radio, about 15 different URLs, domain names, website names that are in line with various series that we hope to create someday around different areas of focus. And one is U of Think. So that represents University of Think. And it's all around the idea of education and disrupting it or thinking about what's next, all that kind of thing. But it doesn't, it, it's nothing but a URL right now for $20. Right. Okay. right. So it has no real value. Now, given all of these conversations, crooked media, all that kind of stuff, and here's the offer right now. We, we can give you $100 right now, right? Or we could give you the chance to create and build you of think. Become an owner, be the dean, or whatever the heck the title is called, but you have an ability to build this platform, you of think, whatever it is, we don't know. Okay. So what I'm curious about, would you rather have the $100 or would you rather try to take on that job? That's a no-brainer. I think I would try and take on that job. It sounds okay. really difficult, but I think it sounds like something that would be really worth it. So I would, I would take the job. What if it was $5,000? I think I would still take the job. <laughs> What's your number, 10? 20 grand, like what if we gave you 20 grand right now and you could walk away with 20 grand and then go get a job? Like what, what's your number on that opportunity? I'm just curious. I don't, I don't know if I have a number. Because- Hey, that's fair. Yeah, be, you know, because I think when you are really passionate about something and I, I am passionate about education, that doesn't necessarily mean that I wanna be a teacher my entire life because I think, you know, if you want to get to B, sometimes you can't directly go to B, you have to go A to D to C to B. So I think in my mind, working in politics or business, in many ways, you can actually be more effective at creating change outside of the education system. So I think by doing a paradigm shift like Crooked Media or like you have think, where you are fundamentally rethinking the future of education because the American model of education has so many flaws and has had these flaws for so long, these vast inequities. So I do think the possibility to sort of start from scratch, to start from new and create the ideal system without having to 
I mean, of course, you need to work with the existing with the existing symptom system. But if you can sort of fundamentally rethink what the best version of an education model in this country would look like, I think that's something that would be worth dedicating my life to. So that's a long way of saying that I'm not sure what my number would be. I'm not sure if I have one. I think that's a fine answer. And I really like uh, how you're thinking about getting to what you want. Might not be an A, B, C, D. It might be an A, uh, D, C, B. No, not A, B, C, B. A, B, uh, A, C, B, D. <laughs> you know, there's other letters. You could have picked M or T. Or no, there are, they... because I wanted to work with the letters that he had proposed. <laughs> that was a fantastic answer. Okay, so... So now, Nick, we're we're almost done. We have one more game to play. Great. And 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 this game, we're actually giving you a job to do. You have a job right now. Okay. And and we ju- we just hired you at URL Hotline. It's a job where you have to answer the phone for people that have bought domains, websites, and they haven't done anything with it. We'd like you to take this first call. URL Hotline, what's your problem? Well, uh, hi. Uh, all right, it was 2010, and there were a few of us together, and everyone smelled it, right? There was that smell, and everyone smelled it. No one dealt it. And it dawned on me, that's not the issue. The smell will go away. We have a ghost, and a ghost just took a dump. And so that was the beginning, the seedling of this website. So anyway, so I bought ghostpoop.company, ghostpoop.company. And I have this idea that I want to be like, you know, who are you going to call ghost dumpsters? And we're going to, like, if, if someone... Smelt it, no one dealt it. You have a ghost, you call us, we're gonna help you out. We're gonna not only get the smell out, but we're gonna get the ghost out. And uh, if that smell comes back, then you call us and we come back and we'll get rid of it again. And uh, that's what we do. And it's a subscription model. And yeah, ghostpoop.company, we're gonna sell t shirts. Anyway, a bunch of ideas around it. We just need some help. Uh, please help. That's it. Ghostpoop.company. Okay, you're on. Okay, and I was doing my best not to giggle during that so that it could be heard. (laughs) I I found it very funny, so I don't want you to think I don't have a sense of humor. I was just trying to uh, behave myself. (laughs) Let's see what your answer is. Let's see how how do you respond to a caller like that? Right, well, thank you, caller, for reaching the hotline today. I think... What I want you to know first is that here we are very dedicated to long-term sustainable solutions to your ghost poop problem. So I think it's worth I think it's worth looking into the root causes of the ghost poop. I would I would want to know what is the ghost eating? Has he had recent changes in his diet? Are there things that aren't agreeing with his gastrointestinal system? <laughs> um, I think we need to look at that. I think. Could he start exercising more? Could he start meditating? And um, I think it's really looking at those root causes of the problem, that systemic issues that we can help you address. Because 
Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so you're taking a functional medicine approach to the ghost poop issue. Back to the root cause. Yes, I think uh, I think that was the first thing that occurred to me. <laughs> it's brilliant because it's now it's not just a service business of getting rid of the ghost, getting the ghost to stop pooping. Is that what you're saying? Right, because ghost poop can come and go, but if you're being haunted, that's forever. So we need to look at your actions in your past life and how we can exercise that ghost from your life. I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to give you five stars on that response. Yeah, Hello, Natalie. What do you, you think? I'm with you. I'm with you. That was deep. That was amazing. It really is, and it shows it shows your your compassion and your empathy because I never thought of the ghost. I was only thinking of the customer trying to get rid of the ghost. Thank you. Well, it was it was fun and thought provoking. Honestly, I'm in awe of how Nick performed today. This is such a fun conversation, and I'm you're just such a talent. I would love to work with you or have you on a team, or I'm sure anybody listening would as well. So. Uh, this has been really fun, and I hope it ends up being very rewarding for you. I don't have any um, constructive criticisms, really. Like, I don't know where you didn't win. No. <laughs> I'd, still be, I'd still be trying to figure out the AI characters. Like, I wouldn't have gotten past the first level yet. So the show would have sucked if I was the talent someone was trying to hire. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to know is what synthetic characters you two would create to have dinner with if if you could choose any synthetic character. Well, you just got me thinking of, what was that, what was the character's name in She, that movie She? What was the, who was that? Do you remember? Did you ever see She? I haven't yet, but I'll put that on my list. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's your next research project, is to watch She. It's probably on Netflix, but it's about a guy that has a romantic relationship with an AI character. Oh, um, yes, I've heard so, of it. I haven't seen it yet. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, her. Oh, her. her. Yeah, I, her. See, that's right. see, see, that's the thing between the rat and the mice. That is one of my problems. Is I, <laughs> I, get, I say rats when I mean mice. I say she when I meant her. Yeah, her. You know that too movie? Much of a lateral, too much of a lateral thinker. Yeah. I, I'm going to get all poignant with mine. I would like my synthetic character to have dinner with to be my great-grandmother, who I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. Um, because of another project I'm working on with Jim, where I'm interviewing my grandmother and hearing a lot about her. I did know her as a child, but I have many questions to ask her now. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have dinner with her uh, in her embodied synthetic character. Oh, well, thanks for making me look like a frat boy compared <laughs> to your answer. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm just trying to salvage my performance here at the end. Uh, no, but you're balancing this off very nicely. It's the seesaw that's much needed. The fulcrum needed to be adjusted for sure. <laughs> On a more serious note, what you just said is so brilliant because, you know, we've been doing this with like the Holocaust show and everything. But one of the insights that we've had is just the, the disconnection between uh, the oldest generations and the youngest. And, you know, the core of that obviously is inside the family, but the wisdom can go anywhere. But But even coming back to the family, Natalie, I was just thinking about you know how we recorded Renee for the Holocaust and then Lola and her life through the Philippines. These are 90-plus-year-old uh, amazing women telling their stories. And I just started thinking, Natalie, like, if we had enough of that, you actually could create a synthetic character of your, maybe not your great-grandmother, because, but of Lola. Yeah. 
Like, could yeah. could you have a character like Lola if we had enough content mm. that would allow that to be a meaningful interaction where she could not only give her personal stories, right, like the stuff that we've been recording, mm. but there's no reason she couldn't throw to, oh, and here's a there's a piece on, you know, the Japanese invading the Philippines that you'll find interesting, too, along the way. I just had one more thought, uh, just to really tie lots of things together. When we were interviewing Renee, the Holocaust survivor, we were talking about like how her stories are so important and her, her story is so important and how it should almost serve as part of the education curriculum on the Second World War, on the Holocaust. Uh, kids should learn from actual stories versus just from history books. Right. And what if these AI teaching assistants actually sourced answers from real people that actually experienced uh, the history or the culture, whatever it is that the kids are learning about? So you can start enriching the sources from which uh, kids in schools uh, can learn from. Yeah. Completely. It's just, it's, it's actually, it's interesting because in a way we're talking about AI and synthetic characters bringing a more experiential uh, human perspective to the history of humans. I don't know. There's something really mm. ironic, but poetic about that too. It's kind of cool. So, so Nick, question for you. Now that you're the first one, you're kind of the pioneer on this. Start to give us some thoughts and feedback on what to do next time, what to do differently, Initial thoughts are that I loved it. It felt very low stress, very low pressure for someone who's never recorded anything before. So I think huge kudos to both of you for creating that safe space and setting this up in a fun, interactive way. So I think that was phenomenal. And I love having sort of different experts and expanding the conversation. So Jim, thank you so much for finding Natalie. And Natalie, thank you so much for joining us and for everything that you both contributed. Um, I'm just so grateful to both of you and um, happy to help in any way that I possibly can. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a few things myself and really, Nick, it's been great to get to know you. I have very high hopes for what's up for you next. Well, thank you both so much and I hope to be able to thank you one day in person at a real cafe with a real waiter. Perfect.